Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and the sober curious. Hi there, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And this is episode 103. And today we're absolutely delighted to be joined by Andy Ramage, who is an author, entrepreneur, alcohol free and wellness expert. And, you know, one of the founders of One Year No Beer and is now moving on to do some really, really exciting projects on his own. So we're absolutely stoked that he's here because obviously we've been working alongside each other in this space for quite a while. And like finally to have a chat and, and you know, really get to know his story and just and yeah, the what next of what happened when he sort of put down drinking and started living. So um, hi, Andy, how are you doing? Hello. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Ah, oh, good. And you, Kate, how are you doing? Um, I'm all right. I'm all right. Well, look, look, we're recording this, right? It's a running joke, Hansi, that whenever we ask each other how we are, we go, yeah, I'm all right, and then have a moan for about half an hour. <laughs> but, so uh, why should be, today be any different? Okay, so yes. I've been stuck in Crawley in a, like, a goods depot for a bit like next to a massive silage thing helping my husband return a van like you know like how it's all glamour right that's what my morning's been and then he went down the road and knocked the mirror off the van and was really late so I wasn't even sure I'd actually be here right and it's also the first day of lockdown and I'm really and I'm really thinking about the election so I'm I'm a bit like you're having a great time but it's a bit crazy right (laughs) It's yeah. a bit crazy. I think there's a lot of people yeah. feeling like that at the moment. I think so. What about you, Mans? How are you doing? Uh, I am all right. I just took some hardcore headache pills because I thought I was going to get migraine. <laughs> so if I sort of start slurring at some point, I do apologise. Um, but other than that, I'm I'm all right. It's a beautiful, sunny day. I always talk about the weather. That's how I start the um, beautiful sunny day here in France and um, the kids are at school so let's you know just be thankful for, for that, that part of, <laughs> that part of lockdown very you know? true <laughs> so yeah. all the parents are nodding they're all like yeah, yeah. it's on a school I mean that was just we were right. holding our breath for weren't we you know yeah. so and um, yeah I'm all, I'm all right and just like obviously there's big things happening in the world but I feel quite proud of well, how our community is doing, you know, how everyone's looking after each other, how, you know, people are sort of, and myself kind of trying to look for the the happy bits in between and just sort of focus on, you know, good things that have happened in the election, whatever the outcome will be. Like there has been some amazing stuff, sort of little bits. And so I'm just trying to focus on that really. So, yeah. So, Hi, Andy. And we've already had this chat about whether you're Ramage or Ramage. And we were saying it's really like Hyacinth, Bouquet or Bucket. Yeah. So I'm on the Bucket team. Andy's on the Bouquet team. So Andy That's the story Ramage. of art. So That's... Andy Ramage, what's brought you to be alcohol free? What's your story? Well, it's my story. So my story, I guess, begins, a, well, it begins about 10 years ago on that classic well, actually, no, let's wind back a little bit from there. So I started out as a professional footballer. I left school at 16 to follow the dream, as it were. And um, there was only one thing wrong with that dream. I wasn't actually very good. So I worked out quite quickly at quite a young age. But against all the odds, you know, I, I sort of battled through in, in, in what's quite a brutal environment. 
into first teams and played professional football and scored in professional leagues and just had the most wonderful time. I absolutely loved it. It's, it was the greatest gift that was ever given to me. And then in my early 20s, twin, yeah, 20, I was injured and my career was pretty much finished. So I then travelled the world and ended up in the world of broken, oil broken to be specific, which is the guys' bright jackets in the big trading pits screaming and shouting at one another I absolutely loved it. it. It was the closest thing that I'd ever found to this professional sport that had been taken away from me. And, and I quite excelled quite quickly in that environment because you needed that sort of bulletproof skin in many ways, I think, to handle that type of pressure that you're often thrown into. But along with that comes this really um, type of lifestyle that is very much about entertaining, very much about wine and dining clients. And again, I love that piece of it as well. I'm never going to deny that. I had an absolutely brilliant time for many, many years. And then I didn't have as good a time. You know, it was that slow grind, I think, into my 30s, early 30s, mid 30s. I just had um, my second child then. So I had a sort of, uh, I guess, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And it was a real like boiling pot of, is this it? And, And that coincided with me reaching that place, for want of a better word, of sort of traditional success, right? Which I'd always been told through conventional thinking that once I got there, I'd be blissfully happy. That's all I needed to do. I need to absolutely work my socks off, go all in, earn a certain level of income, have a certain type of house, a certain type of car, hopefully, you know, a healthy marriage and and, and children, then I'm done, right? That's it. Nirvana is mine. And like many people, I got there and went, this is a bit shit. Actually, I'm like five out of 10. And on reflection, I'm now three stone heavier than I wanted to be. I haven't seen a gym for years and years and years. I'm incredibly unhealthy, unmotivated, unproductive. Relationships are strained across the board. I'm not at home very often at all because I'm constantly out whining and dining to achieve this thing that's supposed to make me happy. And it was a sort of slow epiphany, as I'm going to describe it. One that took about three years to sink in, but it was that realization of, what am I doing? Like, what, what is this about? And when I looked around at the other people, I'm doing those air quote things that you can't see on the podcast, but more successful than me, I just saw more of the same broken bodies, broken minds, broken homes. What are we doing? It was like a real, like sort of wake up call off. This is nuts. I can't, why are we doing this? I don't get it. Like if happiness and all of this is supposed to flow from a certain level of income or career advancement, why are all these people that are effectively earning more income than me not blissfully happy and sort of skipping into work? They all look awful. They're all hating their jobs. They hate what they do. This is just, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to play this game anymore. I'm going to try and do something different. And it takes a ton of courage to do something different. So rather than run off to a monastery, as I was tempted to do, I thought, no, I'm going to stay in the industry that I love, but I'm going to do things differently. So I resigned from the biggest job in the biggest seat to set up my own business. And everyone said, you're completely nuts. You can't do it. And then I got put on gardening leave, which for those people who don't know what gardening leave is, it's just you get fully paid not to show up to work because they don't want you to take their clients. And and for me, that was just a godsend. I had nine months out to travel, spend time with my family. I realized in that space, I didn't particularly like to drink anymore because I was away from that environment, but I was still drinking. Don't get me wrong. And I traveled around the world to study well-being. I was like, right, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to come back, create a new business. It's all going to be about health, vibrancy, relationships. I studied meditation, studied positive psychology, studied philosophy, traveled the world to train the best of the best. I arrived back to set that new business up and I was going to eat salad and stuff, right? I was totally up for it. 
And then, of course, within five minutes of all these wonderful intentions, what started to happen again? I started to go out and entertain clients like I'd always done. And guess what? My consistency melted away. I couldn't be bothered again. The weight was back on. All of the wonderful momentum that I just built up was lost. So that it's a long way to get there, but I think it's important to, to sow the seed. It was in that moment after all of that, that was the that was the only moment I ever questioned alcohol. Isn't that mad? And and that's this is why I think it's important that it was so ingrained that I did not once through that whole period think, oh, I wonder if I took a break from alcohol. I wonder is that the thing that's holding me back? And it was so obvious to me then in that moment but I was also caught in this really weird situation, whereas that industry which thrives on alcohol, the people that I admired were saying to me, if you want to stop drinking, you're finished, mate. You are over. And bearing in mind, I just started a new business and we had at this stage probably 15 to 20 people involved in that new business. And I was at the forefront of it, scared the life out of you, right, when someone's telling you that. But equally, there was just a bit of me that thought, I think I'm onto something here. I think if I can take a break, maybe that is the gateway to consistency, to motivation, to energy. I need that or this business will fail. So even though I'm caught between the rock and the hard place, I'm going to take a gamble on this because I'm believing that actually taking a break from alcohol is the key to all of this good stuff that I've just learned about and studied and want to implement. And it was. For me, it was it was like the greatest gift ever. I'm just pausing there because I'm, I'm conscious I've been talking for ages. I don't know if you want me to. No, 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 not at all. We're, I'm just taking it all in. Mm. Um, I just really am because it's it's so interesting to kind of hear it and see it from that perspective of just, yeah, that thing of like, I just think it will relate to so many people of that thing of like just everything else going everywhere else in every other direction and not seeing the thing that's in front of us you know and for me it was in terms of like mental health it was like you know no matter what happened yeah how much better I got after burnout and things like that you know it was never booze was never the thing and then when it was suddenly like I made that oh it's a depressant you know or it's this thing that's bringing us down or stopping us or you know blocking us and then you remove it and it's just like okay right <laughs> that was the thing you know oh, so yeah yeah someone just... said on a, on a sober forum once alcohol always gets free pass Mm. And it really is that, isn't it? It's like we feel like we've got to work so damn hard at every other area of our life and be so good and da 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 and all of this. And it's like, and but that one doesn't get questioned. That one doesn't get the same, you know, because it's so socially expected. Ingrained. Yeah, especially yeah. depending on what environment you're in, especially in that environment, it was considered almost part of the job. It wasn't like a bolt on. It was part of And, you know, I think this is the bit that a lot of people find difficult. It was also part of my character. I was the larger than life character. If you wanted a good time, you knew what to call it. it was me, right? And I was going to take you out and we were going to buy and done it and we're going to have a right laugh and I'd get to know you, get to know me and eventually we'd end up doing business. So in my mind of limiting beliefs at that stage of my life, I was like, if I take that away, like what's left? I don't know what's left. It's been so long since I'd been my authentic self. I didn't know what was under there. And I think that fear alone is the fear that holds most people back. It's like, <gasps> I don't know if I can be me. I think we spend so much time protecting ourselves with sort of psychological armory that we lose ourselves a little bit along the way. And I think alcohol is part of that because it just turns us into someone that we're not effectively. So for me at that moment in my life, it was really t tough, not so much that, you know, there was any dependency. And just to uh, cl clarify that in my story, there was no rock bottom and there was no, there's no addiction in my story. I would describe myself as a middle lane drinker. 
someone that drank on occasions heavily, on occasions moderately, on occasions not at all, and sometimes averagely, which is basically everyone on the planet, let's be honest, right? I was no more exceptional than anyone else I knew in the city, but clearly it was having an impact on me for all the wonderful reasons that hopefully we'll get to, because once I removed it, I was right. It was the gateway to all the good stuff. All of a sudden, I got super consistent in the way that I was moving my body. The weight fell off me. I lost three stone in the end, body fat 35 down to below 10%, where it is today. That's an important message as well, seven years after, right? And I had time that I never had before. I had time to study again, went back part-time to do degrees and master's degrees in positive psychology and coaching psychology. We'll get to it later. Started the one, you know, be a movement on the side because I had all this energy and all this this momentum in my life, my relationships, which are the most important thing to me, by far none, just got better and better with my wife, with my kids, with my colleagues, with my friends. And in the office, that business that I set up, we knocked it out of the park. And the reason we knocked it out of the park is because I was showing up every day on my A-game, right? Which is so rare in our industry because I figured it out. I know what happens in every other broken firm. I know on a Friday, it's decimated, right? Because everyone's absolutely caned it on Thursday. And I know at lunchtime, everyone's out on the lash. It's part of, or it certainly was back then. So we built that business on lunchtimes and Fridays and we broke out. (laughs) I mean, it's literally, it was as simple as that. It was like, right, I want everyone on their A game at lunchtime and I want everyone on their A game on a Friday because I'm going to be in there banging the drum because I know I'm going to show up. I knew that was the real game changer for me. I knew I could forward predict, you know, my performance consistently whereas before I couldn't and I'm sure you you identify with that you didn't really know who was going to show up whether you're going to be tired or grumpy or couldn't be asked because it was all dependent on and not even the night before let's be honest when you hit your mid-30s it's the night before that and the night before that and and you know these are the things that my brain started to look at it differently and go hold on a minute what am I doing if I only drink twice a week and it's taking me out for three and a half days that means 100% of my life is underperforming twice by drinking twice a week imagine if you're drinking three or four times like most people do do you know what I mean it's when you get some distance from it it's like what are we all doing yeah and I think like something because obviously we talk a lot about mums and our our book was sort of focused for mums and that overwhelm and that kind of um pressure that that women and mums are under in a very different way you know we're not getting the financial side of it you know we're not getting that success but we're 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 stuck in a place of kind of like yeah a lot of pressure to do the best for other people I suppose and it's the same thing of like you know so we're sort of sold this message that you know drinking wine is going to help like it's going to help us cope it's going to make it better it's going to make it easier you know you're going to be more fun you're going to be more relaxed and the actual fact is it makes it so much harder and your patience with your kids and just, you know, you underperform as a mum. Do you know what I mean? Like you underperform as, as as just turning up in your own life and feeling good about yourself. So I I, I think it can relate in every area that, that, that essence of just like that continuous kind of fatigue and that continuous just low level shittiness of feeling, you know. Yeah. Can, I, can I pick something up there? Just just a, a quickie. Because um, I'm interested, you know, part of what Mandy's just picked up on is that, that kind of gendering of, you know, the way that men and women use alcohol differently some in some ways. Um, and this idea of performance. 
which undoubtedly, you know, you take something away like that, you can focus on your goals, you, you, you can have the energy, you can hear your true north, you can, you know, you can start to boss it. What I found was that I know that I necessarily as well wanted to kind of aim quite high. I wanted, I was quite into sort of achievement and performance. And what I got mirrored back to me was like, oh, don't be hard on yourself. Like there was there's some kind of cultural British message, which is a bit confused about that kind of, it's like you've got to kind of fit in. We don't like anyone to kind of succeed too much, do we? We're like, well, let's just bring it down a bit. And I and there's some, some messaging around alcohol with that. Oh, don't worry, just go. And it's like, no, but I don't want to. I want to. I want to aim Reach in my dreams. I want yeah. To, yeah. So I, I'm quite interested in in that aspect of your in your story. And if you if you agree with that and where you are with those cultural messages, you know? Oh, absolutely. And first and foremost, I think it's the classic case, isn't it, that when you're with other people, if you're not drinking, you make them feel uncomfortable. Very often. It's not always the case, but I think it certainly was for me in those early days. And the reason I think there's so much social pressure around alcohol, which there is, and I think that's one of the biggest hurdles to overcome. I mean, one, you know, Bill, we run a survey of about 200 people. It was unbelievable, sorry, 2,000 people. It was unbelievable the results we got back. It was along the lines of 97% of people, basically everyone, when did you ever see that on a survey, said the number one reason they didn't take a break from alcohol more often was because of social pressure. 85% of people said they felt socially pressured in the workplace. And I sort of think a lot of that boils back down to, in a roundabout way, almost at a subconscious level of what you're saying. People don't, they're a bit uncomfortable about someone stepping outside the mould and maybe doing things differently and maybe optimising their health and their self. And suddenly they've got a bit more momentum. They're talking about breaking through glass ceilings. People are a bit like, oh, I'd, I'd rather you just sort of stayed at my level because then I've not got to worry about it. I'm, it puts, I'm under no pressure to sort of push on. I can just stay where I am unhappy and unmotivated not that everyone is right i'm making huge generalizations but the truth of it is that many people are a bit five out of ten a bit six out of ten a bit unmotivated a bit unhappy in, in their life and in their jobs and in their careers and lacking in and whatever that might look like to them sort of thing because it's not yeah. you know that thing isn't it it's like what is successful to me and what what are my true my values my value might be to be just really showing up at home with my kids and looking after my chickens. I'm just talking about myself. <laughs> so I've got chickens, but you know, and it, but it is that it's it's like that being able to listen into that authentic, like what really makes me tick, and that's okay, and I've got the confidence and energy to do that. So your, you know, your performance and your own achievement doesn't need to look like other people look like anyone else yeah and this is really important and actually I, I run a course called the office athlete and the whole concept behind that is that it's getting into the mindset of an athlete because I've been lucky enough to be an athlete and I train lots of athletes still in, in their mindset but the difference between the athlete and the everyday person the everyday athlete is that they've made this real clinical link between their performance and their goals essentially but if you peel back the layers with a real athlete, whether that's an Olympic athlete, World Cup winning cricketer, whatever it is, many of the people that I've worked with, you always get back to the same place. They want to be fulfilled and happy. Therefore, if you want to be the best parent that you can be, why do you want to be the best parent you can be? To be fulfilled and happy. If you want to be super successful entrepreneur, why? To be fulfilled and happy. Therefore, 
There's no difference between a goal to win a gold medal or to be a brilliant parent. There is no difference because ultimately we, we all want the same thing. So my mindset started to evolve as to, well, my goals are just as important, right? And so are your goals just as important. So let's treat them with that respect and actually really start to try and optimize everything that we do in our lives. Again, it could be for something super duper and grandiose, or it could be for something really beautiful and simple, like looking after your chickens and just showing up for your kids. Like these things are so important. And I think back to your point about almost the tall poppy sort of syndrome there. I think there is that cultural sort of belief that, we shouldn't try and optimize ourselves and be the best that we can be because who are we to step above our station? Who are we to feel that we could be the best mum that we could be? Just keep it small, play it safe. I just don't believe in any of that. I think wherever I see cultural conventional wisdom, I challenge it because invariably it's wrong. Mark Twain said it best. When you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. The majority have got it wrong. And I, t- and I, and I stand behind that all day. And there's a really gl- glaringly obvious one the majority of people drink, they've got it wrong. Like I'll stand behind that all day long. In my opinion, they've got it completely wrong. The way to an optimized, vibrant, happy, fulfilled, energized life is to not drink. And I know that. God, I love that. I'm like, people. yeah, Andy, <laughs> Andy, Prime Prime Minister. Minister. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> come on. Just like um, I'm wheeling out this. I love a bloody soapbox, and like I love to get on yeah. one, and I've got one for you because that was just a great. No, but you're right, and I always think I think there's that that you know there's that lovely is that beautiful kind of rebellion, isn't there? And there's that you know when you do you touch on your true north, and you get that sense of okay, I've hit it. I like I know I'm I I know it. I know it for myself. It's authentic. It's like it's got an integrity to it and therefore it's got confidence because it doesn't matter if you make mistakes in that place because that's learning because you know it. You've got that. You've got that sense of, like I say, that true north. And, um, yeah, and I, and I love that. I think there's that bit in, in so many sober people as well of that little bit of rebellion, isn't there? Like you've got yeah. – I, I just think it's beautiful yeah, to I challenge think- the norms. Yeah, sorry, go on. It, it is that, and, and you've touched on something really important there, because even back to my story, what I discovered underneath all of that bravado that alcohol brought was that I was really introverted. I never knew that. I actually read, it was Susan Cain's brilliant book, Quiet, that you may have read. That is such a great oh, book if anyone's really interested in. It's just a brilliant book anyway, Susan Cain, Quiet, but it's about the power of introverts. And I was reading that book probably about four or five months into my alcohol-free adventure, and it just blew my mind. It was like tick, tick, tick. Yeah, genuinely, had you asked me two months earlier whether I was an introvert or extra- extrovert, it would have been, I'm a flamboyant extrovert. I'm all out front. I'm the social guy. And then actually, once I removed the alcohol, I realized something really, really important that that I was introverted and I always have been. And I think I was using alcohol to become someone that I wasn't. It was just a mask. It was a mirror. And I removed it and it was uncomfortable, don't get me wrong, because then I had to find myself in all sorts of situations that I wanted to shy away from, as you tend to do. But I started to figure everything out. I knew that lots of people just zapped all my energy and that I was much better in a smaller space. But equally, I found real power in that, real courage in that. You know, And it's not that introversion means that you lack confidence, far from it. You know, I felt, and many introverts have unbelievable confidence in themselves. But coming back to your point, what started to happen was that as I really aligned with that message, like you said, I just grew such in confidence that 
I just didn't care. I was able to like articulate it and give it some and not be scared of mistakes or not be scared of picking up a Facebook Live or standing out in front of people. All the things that absolutely scared the pants off me whilst I was drinking because it was all plastic confidence anyway. But once you you believe in that message and you know you've seen like mm. like behind the matrix, as it were, that's why I think so many people in this space are like on it, right? Because And they do get a bit on their soapbox and I have to wind myself in every now and again. But hopefully everyone's listening gets it, right? So it makes it a bit easier for me to give it some. But, you know, I think that's what it is. We're going, we've just, we've stumbled onto something that's really, really powerful. We'd love everyone else to have a little look at it just to dip their toe. And that's why we do all the things around challenges. Because I know if I can give someone a glimpse of all the good stuff around being alcohol-free, then they never go back. It is like that Neo moment, isn't it, in the Matrix where you take the blue pill or whatever pill it was. You can't ever go back. Once you know what it's like to have your momentum and your productivity and your eyes are bright again and you've got your energy back, I don't want to go back to feeling five out of ten. I don't want to go back to feeling shit again and strain relationships and regret and can't be arsonists. I'm making words up now. It doesn't matter. But you get the idea. You don't want to go back. And then it becomes really attractive. It's like that, oh, I think I'm going to go back to that alcohol-free space again. And I see that all the time. People will do it. They'll go back to their old habits, come back again, go back. Then they'll come back and go, do you know what? I'm going, this is is new now. Job done. That was certainly my experience. It was just like, yeah, you can't unlearn how good sober feels. It was just like, however much I tried to go back to drinking. And then it was just like, it was always in the back of my head. But wasn't I happier when I didn't drink at all? yeah it was like wasn't it better for me didn't I feel better about myself like yeah I did and so you know and it is it's like fighting that cultural message that's all around you like this is what I should do to be normal and fit in and this is what should be part of my life and so you're having to battle that internally and and you know follow your own sort of true sort of sense of like but it's not good I I don't like it I don't like it I don't want it I don't want it you know so but how did you so how did you stop did you just stop straight away or did you how did you go to groups what was your kind of yeah your methodology did you just like you know get through it and um, yeah I mean I think as I described earlier there wasn't that that physical addiction to alcohol definitely wasn't there was definitely there was undoubtedly a, a big psychological addiction to it in the sense that it was just part of who I was so removing that was really difficult it took me ages is the truth it didn't happen overnight I mean you know I must have grumbled never again many many times before I cracked it but the secret I think for me was that I didn't give up I actually became really interested in it it was like right what's going on here I know this is not a physical addiction to alcohol yet equally why am I finding it so difficult to stop this thing? Why am I walking into a bar, even though in my mind I'm getting a sparkling water, I'm definitely getting a sparkling water. I get to the bar, I can smell the crisps, hear the ambience. The bar person says, what do you want? And I say, full confidence, pint of Stella. Like, How does that happen? You know, things like that. I was like, that's that's really weird. I've Like my mind, I'd made a lovely rational choice to not do this thing yet here I am I've got a pint in my hand how did that possibly so I became really intrigued and interested in how my mind worked for the first time ever and that led me on a wonderful journey into again NLP I became a master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming which I really like mindfulness-based awareness coach as mentioned I went back you know I left school at 16 I went back finished a degree finished a master's degree in positive psychology and coaching psychology because I wanted all that info for myself I was like right I need to figure this out for me never actually thinking that I was going to share it with anyone else in truth I just wanted to work it out for myself 
And in that learning, I started to figure out, oh, actually, I think I'm behaving probably quite normal for someone that's behaved in a certain way for about 20 years, someone that is totally acclimatized to certain, you know, scenario triggers, for example, this is sort of quite normal behavior. It's not abnormal behavior. I'm not broken. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not diseased. I'm not like forever doomed. I just need to actually figure out some of these techniques and try it a bit differently, which I did over time. And I slipped up and I blipped up and I stumbled and I made every mistake you could possibly make. And then I didn't. And then I got about 28 days in and I woke up and it was that beautiful moment of being eyes were bright. Sun was shining. Tara, that's my wife. She was in love with me. The kids were in love with me. And I was like, oh, this is a bit nice. I quite like this. Actually, I quite like this on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and Thursday. I think I'm going to keep going. And that was it. That was that first signal that I was onto something. I was like, I have not felt like that in forever, like energized again and brightness again and couldn't wait for the weekend again. And that in itself became such an attractive lure that I just kept going. But Bearing in mind, I touched on it earlier, right about that time was when I got hit with the whole, if you continue not drinking, your career's over, like you might as well pack this this whole thing in, which is like, what? Not what I wanted to hear. But I'd seen enough, right? I'd seen that glimmer of light that I kept going. 28 days became 60, became 90. And that was it. I was pretty much job done at that stage. I'd lost a lot of the weight. I felt amazing relationships, all the wonderful things that I was talking about earlier. And I sort of knew in that moment, I'd probably never go back. And it wasn't until six months on my 40th birthday in Dublin with all of my best friends. My wife's Irish. I I lived in Ireland for a long while. My best friends were out there. A lot of them flew in. So this was meant to be. It'd been in the diary as a massive session, as you can imagine, right? That's like, let's go to Ireland and have an absolute beano for my 40th. But here I was arriving for like the, you know, potentially the biggest knees up of my life thinking, I don't want to drink. And I arrived, black tie do, you know, put it on. It was really, it was a really beautiful occasion. And I'd written a speech that was going to touch on every single person in the room. It was about 25, 30 people in the room. And I'd really spent a bit of time rehearsing the speech. Anyway, so fast forward, I'm not drinking. Everyone's freaked out. My best friend, Lenny, said to me, I tell you what, he says, you're not drinking. I said, no. And he said, well, see the corner over there? That's called the boring corner. You can stand (laughs) in there. And when you're ready to have a drink, you can come out and we'll all talk to you. Bear in mind, this is my... Bash. And obviously, Jeff, Cheers, right? mate. Yeah. It was your thing. It wasn't, I know. <laughs> but this is, this is what it's like, right? This is yeah. the reality yeah, of yeah. the real world. You know, and he loves me to bits and he's my biggest support now. But, you know, you try telling your best friend that you, you've grown up drinking around that you're not drinking. Of course, it's going to evoke reactions like that. But fast forward, it was that moment in the night just before the speech. It was like, right, if I'm ever going to have a drink again, this is the moment, right? I'm in Dublin. I'm about to make a speech. I'm really nervous about it, even though it's my best friends. There's booze everywhere. Everyone's on it. I was like, nah, do you know what? Nah, don't, not in a million years I'm going to do it. And that was it. That I knew that was signed, sealed, delivered, stood up, yeah. made my lovely speech. And the, the irony of it is, of the 25 people, I reckon I got to about person number four and I just had to give up. The heckling, because everyone <laughs> was absolutely smart. I couldn't even speak. I just gave up. I was like, thank you very much and sat down. <laughs> so that's the difference between the alcohol-free superhero and all my living drunk mates at that time. Yeah. Even listen yeah. to me. And do you still have the same relationships with those people or did some of them like, you know, sort of naturally come to an end or did your friendships kind of change? 
I um, think that's something that re- really scares people. Yeah, it does. And that was a big fear for me because, again, like I'm sure yourself and probably almost everyone listening, we built a lot of our friendships in the pub or in clubs or going out, you know. So I certainly built all of my friendships and my relationship with my wife by being super social. And that meant that we were out a lot, right? We were that type of couple. So I was really fearful of that. And, and I, I can only say through first hand experience that. You know, my relationship with my wife now is a bazillion times, and we were really lucky. We were always really tight anyway for how um, all that period. But you know, we're, we're better than we've ever been times of thousand because I don't drink. She still drinks. Brilliant. I don't. I just choose not to. And my best friends just recently, which is a really nice, uh, hopefully, a message of hope to a lot of people. But we were at a wedding about not even a year ago, and so about a year and a half ago, an Irish wedding an old friend of ours that was getting married a little bit later. So it was the old crew. You know, it's like when you get one of those weddings where it's like the old squad get back together. So it was going to be a proper, you know, rip roarer of a wedding. And of course I I don't drink anyway, but I was with my best friend Lenny. It was on it all day long. You know, it was proper, you know, one of those type of weddings, but it was about two o'clock in the morning. Un sort of provoked. He just turned around and went, this has been one of our best days ever. And it was a really lovely moment for me. He'd been drinking all day. I hadn't touched a drop. We'd been on the dance floor. We'd had, we were literally after just crying with laughter over some silly thing that we were talking about. And he just unprompted turned around and said, it's one of our best best days out ever. And I thought, how oh, brilliant is that? Here am I, you know, getting to stay true to all the things that are important to me. Best mate in the world. We've just had a brilliant time. Yeah, he's done what he wants to do, right? I'm not stopping him. You know, he's got on it and had the great fun and all that sort of stuff. And I'm just being me and we've still had a lovely time. So that was that was a really nice moment for me, you know, I must admit. Yeah, and I think that's the the key, isn't it? It's like, you know, when it's you have true friendships and true relationships with people, you know, they last and people get it. And it does take some time sometimes. But, you know, I remember sort of a, one of my best mates turning around and just saying, I'm really, really proud of you. Like about five years into sort of me drinking and not drinking and drinking and not drinking and I was just like oh man thank you you know but it didn't come straight away but it did come because I think it is it's that threat on them and it's like the unknown and it's fearful and I'm not sure how this impacts on me or how do we move through it and 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 like again both Kate and I our husbands both drink you know my husband's French we have a wine cellar in our house so you know it was a hugely important part of our relationship and and it's like he he drinks he doesn't drink as much as he used to but he drinks I don't and it's it's absolutely fine you know because it is you're live you're living your true sort of what's true to you um so I think that's a wicked message to send out to people yeah and if I even just on that because I think that's another stumbling block for a lot of people isn't it it's like well my partner still drinks or my friends still drink and I think with this alcohol free adventure or, or however you want to term it it is a solo mission it is. And I think that's why podcasts, communities in in this space are just so important and powerful because you sort of need a group of people that get you because the truth is, and it's the same for me, as soon as this podcast finishes and I go out into the real world, everyone I know and love drinks, every single one of them, right? So I can't go out there and I'll go banging on about how brilliant it is to be alcohol-free or to you know talk about any struggles or whatever it is. They don't get it. They don't understand it. It's not on their radar. It's not because they don't love me. It's not because they don't support me because they don't get it. They don't understand it, right? And that's that's certainly not their issue. So I think it's embracing the fact when you step out um, and have the courage to step up and take a break from alcohol that it is your mission. It's a solo thing. And I think that prevents some of 
the pitfalls of people then getting frustrated as to well, my partner keeps drinking and I'm not drinking and it's their fault that you know I keep slipping up and I think you've got to get over that at some point and go, do you know what? This is a solo thing. You've got to let them do what they're going to do. And the truth is this, and you touched on that. When you show up and you're loving it, right? And you're optimizing yourself and you're smiling again. You've got your energy again. You're feeling amazing again. You're looking beautiful again. Your hair's amazing and your eyes are bright and all that stuff that happens guaranteed to everyone that takes breaks from alcohol. I don't know. We can't guarantee that, but still it might do. I hear, I hear that's the truth. Um, then they, they're warm to it. And the research is there. You know, I get into the real science of this. There's some brilliant research from a guy called Nicholas Christakis about how habits and emotions flow through networks. It's the most amazing science that I've seen in many, many years on a huge scale. And what he discovered was this. For example, let's just use uh, obesity as an example, but this will blow your mind, but it'll give you an example of how things such as alcohol or your good and bad habits around alcohol can flow through networks what they discovered was this if someone in your immediate circle becomes obese the chances of you putting on weight and becoming obese goes up by 45 percent which is staggering anyway it doesn't end there if if one of your friends friends becomes obese the chances of you becoming obese goes up by 25 percent it doesn't end there if your friends friend's friend becomes obese you still go up by 10 percent. you're more likely to to put on weight isn't that mind-blowing right and alcohol smoking emotions depression all flow in and out of networks we are these social animals and i think we forget that so my take on that is be that positive beacon of change be that epicenter of positivity in your life whether that's you optimizing your relationship with alcohol optimizing your body optimizing relationship optimizing your mind so you you know you're showing up in these tough times because the greatest motivator of all your actions are going to spread to those people that you love you don't have to do anything all you got to do is just show up instead of you being the person that's spreading the bad habits be the person that spreads the good habits so that's the way i frame it in my mind you know show up do it for yourself but ultimately you're always gifting it back to those people that you love and i know you touched on that a minute ago that your husband drinks less now same as tara she drinks way less than she ever did but she still drinks but i know it's a fraction because of you know all the things that we do yeah and i was thinking when you were talking about go on sorry love um but i was was thinking it's interesting because um I've had family members and what you said, I find that mind blowing on. I love that whole, I love neuroscience. I love evolutionary theory. I love all of that kind of the weird science about it all. And I really want to understand like why they think that is right. Cause I know I've seen it in my family and I've seen it in my friends. And part of me is like, okay, well maybe that's just, you know, that confirmation bias. Once you start seeing it, once you start living it, it becomes visible and it feeds back to you. But actually what you've said is no, it can, it can be like the seven degrees of separation. It can be happening. That. So what do you know why they say that that's, that's happening then? No, only the, um, I mean, from their research originally, predominantly it was around smoking, but I think it's also like we're so influenced by our environment. I think that that we have to really appreciate that fact that, you know, and this when it comes even down to taking a break from alcohol, one of the best things you can do is bloody remove it if it's possible. Get it out of your, you know, literally out of your eye line. Put any barriers you can between you and you actually getting hold of it because we're incredibly influenced by our environment, first and foremost. So if you're surrounded by people that are 
taking part in a certain behavior. Again, it's, it's all, I think goes back to a lot of evolutionary survival in the sense that we're desperate to remain part of the tribe because to be thrown out the tribe means or meant death for death. most yeah. of our evolution, right? So we want to fit in we, back to, you touched on it earlier perfectly. That's why we have that tall poppy syndrome. We don't like to stand out from the crowd because our fear is the tribe will reject us because we're a bit different to everyone else. So we have all of this sort of um, psychology mixing in the background. Plus, we also use other people as our social clues to how to behave. So we're really influenced by the people that we love and admire on their social behavior. So if they're drinking, what messaging? Like what messaging? And this is why, like, just take alcohol is really difficult to change from a psychological point of view because I look around my life the people that I love the most my mum my dad they still drink so my social clues are all saying the people that I admire the people that I love are all doing this thing so for me to sort of rebel against that and do something different is, is really difficult so I think I don't know the, the, the deep science behind it but from my sort of overview it's very much the influence of others because we are these these social, social creatures yeah. yeah 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 and that's what I was going to say about you know, when you had that moment at 28 days and you had that, well, you're, you know, your career is going to be over if you, if you don't drink. It's like, that's when communities are so key, aren't they? Because it's like, then you go into, you know, one year no beer, you go into Love Sober, Soberistas, she recovers all these wonderful communities, Club Soda or whatever. And you go, oh my God, someone just said, if I don't drink, you know, my career is going to be over and you're going to have this, you know, whole community go, don't listen yeah. we get you <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. all you know and so that's why it, and and again it's that thing of like creating all these little clusters which I love because we were talking about this last night because we do a call on a Wednesday night within our community and our community is quite small at the moment you know um, and a couple of people said like I'm scared about it getting big and I said like look that's when you come into play and then you set up your community like they'll never be that's why there's so little competition I think within kind of so communities because in my view anyway that there, there will be that saturation point or whatever and then there will be another cluster that will grow and another group will be created and someone else will take that initiative to you know nuance it in a different way or to take a different angle and so you will find your people and we'll keep just having these little clusters of sort of sober sort of I don't know starter points and they will you know sort of extend out because you're there's always going to be a need until we don't have alcohol anymore in society which I don't think is going to happen very at any given point but there's there's going to be the, a need for people to find their people to be able to reflect their kind of experiences and that's why I love and that's why it's it's it feels very nourishing for me as someone that is ultimately a community person rather than an individual because I can see that it's just be like it's fine if I'm not your person then I can take you here there or everywhere because it's about finding what reflects you you know and I mean one thing that I was quite interested to re read because I whenever people whenever they're men basically I always refer one year no beer because I'm like well they're the and actually you've got a lot of women you know, within one year no beer, haven't you? It's about so 50, it's, 50. Yeah, actually, it might 50, even be slightly. I haven't seen the stats in a while, but it was slightly more women than men. Surprisingly, yeah, but that's we it. Didn't think it would be like that. I must admit. Yeah, and um, and it's interesting that, and I guess, but I guess it's that kind of the motivation and the goals and the sort of the challenge aspect. So it's coming like personality types. I think in a way, it's like right, how do I, you know, um, 
like I love um, Gretchen Rubin's book about the four tendencies. Yeah, and it's very much like that. It's like, you know, how you respond to habit change is, is what you need. Like it might be AA or it might be one, you know, Vera, it might be she recovers. It, it's just you're learning the way that you learn things, and the way that you respond to kind of, um, you know, some people love a challenge or some people will rebel against it, will never do it if it's got the, the word challenge. So it's fascinating that side of it and just kind of getting people around you and having these little clusters of, of yeah, like a shining light. And that's what I love when you've seen people in a community for a while and then they go on to train and then they go on to do their thing, you know, because it's like they've they've built up this kind of their own experience of it and then they will bring in people that have got the same experience and I think yeah, that's really it's like an it yeah. is and for me this this alcohol free space and this is why I love it and and it's, ne- it's never ever about competition in the sense that as you rightly said we need more people you know when I looked at this seven eight years ago the reason we create one you know beer because there was nothing there was zip they genuinely felt like there was nothing for for someone like me at that stage i wanted a community i wanted a tribe of people that looked a little bit like me that sort of got it and understood it and and i could hold on sorry um sorry is that right that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just got uh, someone. I got a speaker there. Someone's trying to get hold of me. That's another story. That's that's a bit of the day job hanging over there. Um, so we found this this sort of community, this this cluster of people. We thought we'd just create ourselves because it just didn't exist. Now there was the classic um, AA and those type of movements, and that wasn't me. I wasn't in that space at all. That that was not for me. It didn't appeal to me. Um, not that they don't do great work. Again, in that niche, I wanted something different. It just didn't exist. I think the only you know, groups that really existed around that time, maybe Sober Easters, Club Soda was just starting out, Annie Grace. And I think we need loads more of this. There's like, we need every niche on the planet covered because exactly that people need to find their people, their voice, what motivates them. And it could be a one year beer challenge or it could be a different type of challenge. It doesn't matter. Right. For me, you know, I'm really mission driven by this, this whole thing. And, and uh, you know, we touched on before, I'm no longer a part of the business of one, you know, beer, but I'm a massive champion of the alcohol free space and always will be to support people because we just need more of it. Right. We need so many more options. This is such a massive thing that we're up against. I just want to give people the opportunity to find their people easily and comfortably, whether they stumble upon this brilliant podcast and they go, do you know what? I might just give it a go because actually that's where I want to spend my time because we need tribes, we need communities. Not to bang on about it, but as I mentioned, because you won't get it. You won't get it in the traditional place because they just it doesn't exist because most people still drink. Yeah. So what's in your toolkit, your well-being and your sober toolkit, your key things? So um, for me, exercise is key it's been a huge part of of the whole process for me food nutrition um i also changed my diet towards plant-based about the same sort of time so about seven years ago before it became super trendy um (laughs) alongside the alcohol free thing which you can imagine freaked everyone out you know at this point (laughs) Just, what are you doing to us? Yeah, he's like, hold <laughs> on. You can imagine my clients, right? So I'd take clients out. A few months earlier, I'd be swinging off the chandeliers and it'd be like, I'm not drinking. They'd just about get over that. Then the uh, the, the waiter would come around and say, uh, you know, any food tolerances? Or, and I'd be like, well, I'm actually uh, vegan at that stage. And it's just like, oh, it's too much. So now I thought if I'm going to – and this was back to 
challenging conventional wisdom that I've continued to do in my life. Did I need meat to be a man? Absolutely not. What was the optimal diet for me? I don't know. I was going to go and research it and find out. And I settled on that plant-based whole foods diet. And again, which was brilliant for me, it just optimized everything. And it still does. It keeps me in unbelievable, you know, better shape now than in my twenties when I was playing football, not just down to the training, but being alcohol-free, but alcohol-free was the catalyst to all of this stuff, right? It's the only way, in my opinion, for me anyway, that I got consistent in my diet and consistent in my exercise was because of the consistency that comes from not drinking. And I think that's that's a connection that a lot of people haven't quite made yet. They just get frustrated that they end up eating stodge food or they fall off their healthy eating plan or they don't show up in the gym. I reckon 99% of the time, that's down to alcohol is down to that fog of a hangover so in my toolkit it's alcohol free alternatives as well i will plug a friend of mine if that's okay he's got a brilliant alcohol free beer called unlimited u-n-l-t-d dot beer it's brilliant he's got a great story he listened to my podcast with rich roll was inspired to take a break from the alcohol still works in the city for I've got to do something about this. I bumped into him a year ago and his lovely wife and it was just a vision. And then a couple of months ago, the beer arrived and it's absolutely brilliant. It's won gold medals and silver medals. It's it's fab and he's got a great story. And if you put in Andy 10, you do get a little 10% discount. (laughs) (laughs) I I think we might need to have to edit that bit out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Okay. And meditation, you mentioned, do you still meditate and stuff like that? This sort yeah, of side? That's a big part of um, everyday life for me. So my sort of, I'm a real big morning routine type person because having been in there and all the science and the psychology, I, I just need to tick everything off in the morning because I've figured it out over time. Life gets in the way, your willpower tanks get drained, try and do it all before the world awakes. And that was really where I created this little space. I think that was one of the big changes in my life, actually, on the alcohol-free journey was that the mornings became part of, of what I could do again. Like get a part of life. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And get stuff Who done. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just didn't exist. Isn't that mad when you, you're sitting there thinking, I don't have any time. You know, I've got, I'm so stressed out. I'm so maxed out. I don't have any time. Then you take a break from the booze and go, I've got loads of bloody time. Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah. I love what you said about the morning routine, though, because I think that's a real practical tool for people because often you know we have these you know because a lot of this what we're talking about is habit change isn't it and effective habit change and daily manageable strategies to affect overarching long-term change and sustainable goals essentially it's, it's it's habit training right and one of those real a real key thing for people is kind of if you can manage your time if you can make it easy i.e. before the kids come up, get up, before all this kicks off, before that, that makes it easy. That's your window that you can actually put some of this stuff in. Because like you said, once life happens, it can get very difficult once everyone's up. And then the narrative starts. Oh, well, I'm just rubbish at this and I'm rubbish at that. And it's nothing to do with that. It's literally, it's organisation, basically. Oh, exactly. And, And so I spend loads and loads of time exactly that organizing and tweaking and moving things around and what can I do before the world's awake so how many boxes can I tick can I tick exercise can I tick meditation can I tick nutrition can I set it all up in the morning before the world's awake and that just makes my life so easy and, and I talk about this a lot there's freedom in that discipline a guy called yeah, Willing talks a lot about this. yeah 
And it's I love so that. Cool. If you get really organized, you can be totally spontaneous in all of your life because you know, tick that box, tick that box, it's done. There I can freestyle the rest of the day. But if you try and freestyle your habits and your routines, they don't happen. It's, it's, it's the you know it's the brutal truth of it yet if you've got processes to do the things you need to do then you can freestyle and love life and like be spontaneous and go off on a whim because you know you've exercised you know you've meditated you know you've written in your job or whatever it is for you you know morning routines are absolutely key yeah, love it okay so i'm conscious of time um and I love to know sort of, yeah, what, what are your plans and projects? You touched on the fact that you've kind of moved away from the business side of one year no beer now. And so what are your what's your plans, projects, um, things coming up? Yeah. So really what I'm all about now is the sort of what next piece of, I guess, the alcohol free journey, and because that's what inspired me. I think that's why I'm here. It wasn't so much the stopping piece around alcohol. It was, oh, I've now optimized my body. My career is flying. I've found more meaning and purpose. I've got more energy. How can I leverage this amazing foundation? The gift is the greatest gift that we give ourselves is to take a break from alcohol. Like when I was dealing with a lot of, I guess, these elite performers, this was outside the alcohol-free space. The first thing I wanted to know was, do you still drink? And if they did, I was like, well, proactively, I believe you should take a break from alcohol. If you're telling me you want to be the best premiership footballer or the best CEO in the city, why are you still drinking? Because for me, that's the number one thing that's, that's got to go, which, as you can imagine, <laughs> didn't work with everyone. But it got to the point I was so confident with it. I wouldn't train anyone. I was like, well, look, there's a lot of people that you know are out there that are really telling me they're serious about optimizing or being the best that they want to be. If you're not willing to do it, I, I've got other people that I'm going to work with because I know they'll get much better results than you. you know. And I know I can be like quite forceful with it because I can own it. And I know that's the truth. Um, so... I can't even think where I was going. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. So what I'm doing now, that's what I'm doing now. So yes, I'm, I'm helping people now reach their full potential. That's what I do. So I'm really trying to sort of meet people where they're at on their, if they're on their alcohol-free journey, they don't have to be on their alcohol-free journey and actually just showing them the skills and the techniques through various courses. The main one at the moment is called the Office Athlete six-week live course where I train people live and then we have a mind-body gym um, that they can flow into after that. Um, I'm also in the spring of 2021 going to start training coaches so fully accredited coaches so that they can then take all this lovely momentum take all these lovely skills and start giving back themselves and have a real framework and a structure that they can do that because i think that's what people need the confidence to do and then it's that pay it forward approach that you touched on before that's where you get all these lovely little silos or little groups and communities will thrive because people have that courage and it's not just in the alcohol free space by the way, specifically, it's not. It's just a learning to become a coach, to give back in whatever way that suits you to help other people reach their full potential because that's where meaning and purpose lives. Meaning and purpose lives in service of others, in giving back to others. I'm absolutely convinced by that. And I think that's the natural journey many of us go on in this alcohol-free space. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I, and I also love that, you know, you're creating something that's accredited and and and, you know, that's the the other battle within these spaces is you know it's the creation of spaces which aren't which are a bit cowboy and a bit kind of wieldy you know and and we we're working you know with the coaching academy to create a a course within this area of study as well mm-hmm. um because it's time to we know that it works like we know that it's powerful and it's important in helping people sustain and create change in their lives but we want good people doing it and people that are trained and accredited and people that are 
trustworthy you know and and so uh, yeah that's really really exciting exciting time yeah and I just think it's it's I just love this space everything about it I think it's just full of beautiful people as far as I'm concerned inside and out because we all get it we're all trying to learn and, and be a little bit better in whatever it is we're trying to do and I just I'll forever be involved yeah and I love what you said about um because you you say what what we say but you use different language so you know you were we were saying that you know that being alcohol free is the foundation it's like the cornerstone and then the found that's the foundation and then all the beautiful stuff the science of happiness the evolutionary theory the connectivity that all goes on top because once you get rid of it you can hear you can see you you are like a functional human being and those are the those are what what is what gonna is gonna light you up after that. And mm. what you said about your your meaning and purpose, it's it's so true, isn't it? It's like we always say, you know, you you thought you were just not gonna have a hangover, and you had no idea you were just gonna light up like freaking <laughs> Fourth of July. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean <laughs> that, is, that is it. That's it. And I never knew that that you know that twenty eight days when I woke up and felt amazing was going to lead to this right absolutely i could never ever yeah, right. predicted that the, the adventure that i've been on since since that moment not in a bazillion years yet here i am I'm, you know, I'm loving it and you know this is this is what what i enjoy doing oh exciting well i'm really excited to see what happens next so we always finish with um a tip of the day and your reason to love sober so um yes. So top tip, if you're listening to this and you're feeling remotely inspired and you're thinking about taking a break from alcohol, is to just do it. Never. There's always something in the diary. There's always a reason not to start. My opinion is the reasons that sit in your diary to not start are actually the reasons to start. Because when you overcome those big hurdles, whether it's social challenges or loneliness or boredom or whatever it is, they're the moments when the penny drops and you go, oh, I can actually do it. I think that's where all the real insight that comes from so if you're remotely considering this don't put it off till jan why wait till january when you can do it like now and optimize your life and feel amazing and imagine christmas i'm hoping this is going out before christmas yeah imagine christmas at christmas feeling amazing looking fab with sober hair it's a real thing apparently it's more voluptuous and sober hair. hydrated yeah, yeah. real thing who knew that I who knew? That. it's wasted on me but it's a real thing it's more bouncy voluptuous and amazing so like why wait is, is my sort of top tip and what, what was the other one your reason to love sober so your reason to love being sober oh um <clears throat> just because i think it's opened up my my mind uh, do you know what i'm going to say i'm going to say relationships absolutely it's, it's the best thing i've ever done for my relationships with my girls that's that's the most important thing to me oh amazing thank you so so much it's been wicked and super inspiring i totally needed that today because i was so well dry. grumpy <laughs> so this most weeks i love being sober too like wow yeah it's cool isn't it we're the cool kids. I've said it, this is the first time ever in our life. We are the cool kids. We're ahead of the curve. Yeah. Everyone, give them a couple of years, are going to be going, oh, they were ahead of the game. Look at those cool kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you so, so much. So anyway, if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, just reach out. Like we were talking about today, there's so many communities now. There's us, there's One Year No Beer, Soberistas Club Soda, She Recovers, Be Sober Up North isn't there. So many. And um, don't, you know, don't feel alone. We always say don't feel alone. But as 
I really don't feel alone today at all in any way. It's like, of course you're not alone. Just send up a flare and, um, you know, reach out to us at info at lovesober.com. Um, and if you're immediately concerned, just you can go to Alcohol Change as well. They've got agencies of local uh, support in your area. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week for more chat. Thanks so much, Andy. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Loved it.